How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are again, back at it, finishing up the Gospel of Mark. So please go grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. So we got just a little bit left to go here, and then we're going to be starting up a whole new study. I have a couple ideas in mind, haven't haven't settled on it right yet, but uh, what I'm wanting to do is try to get the whole New Testament done. We're working at it, we've uh, taken quite a good bite out of it, so still got a fair bit to go. Alright, so we're in Mark chapter 16. So previously, uh, we've been talking about the, uh, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and here in Mark 16 we're going to be talking about the resurrection. So... We see the trial of Christ, the, the brutality of the torch, everything they're doing, the crucifixion, the shedding of blood. Uh, then we uh, did a study on the burial, and now we're going to be looking at the resurrection. All right, so there's a few things I want to talk about this. Um, uh, bring some things to mind. There's a lot of Christians don't really give this much, much thought in this aspect I'm going to be talking about. Um, so I hope you got your notepad and pen. You got to take down some notes. So this is very important. Also, um, <clears throat> if you're interested, I put a link in the description. You can watch later after the study, right? So you can uh, watch that. Uh, it's a, uh, a chronological study of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, by the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we see this a chronological order of events and things that happened as some of the Gospels mention things that the others do not and all this. So if you actually pair them all together and you look in the timeline sequence of events, this is what happened. So uh, it's a great study. So if you're interested in that, please make sure to check that out and take down the notes. All right. So grab a tea, grab a coffee. We're going to be diving into Mark chapter 16. Now it's not a big chapter but there's a lot of stuff in it and we're going to be taking a look at uh, so we'll see how it goes and as well if you have any comments questions issues insights regarding the study at hand please by all means go ahead and ask away be glad to hear from you if it's not related to the topic at hand if you just hold that to the end of the study we just want to try to limit our rabbit trailing and and uh, distractions that kind of thing we want to try to stay on on point stay on target here all right so um yeah it's been a little while it feels great to finally get back at it again so thank you so much for your prayers and your support folks as i hadn't been feeling well uh, last week and this has been real battle just to get back into the swing of things so here we are okay so we're talking about the resurrection of jesus christ now why is this important why the resurrection itself specifically why is it so important let me know in the comments what are your thoughts what's what's so important about the resurrection because we're always, always talking about the crucifixion, the cross, the shedding of blood, the death. We just emphasize that. And from time to time, we, we may throw in and, and mention the resurrection, but it's always, 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 always focus 
on the death, shedding of blood, the cross, and the burial. Why, why is it we don't really talk that much about the resurrection? Hmm. Give that some thought. Now, what I want to start with, want to head off with, is if you could please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 15. Now in First Corinthians chapter 15, we look at verses 1 to 4. Look at verses 1 to 4. Now, how am I saved? How am I born again saved? What does the Bible say? I got a lot of questions for you in this one. We're going to be looking at a lot of stuff. So, According to the Bible, we see Romans 10, 9 to 10. If, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God is what? What? Raised him from the dead. Why that specifically? Well, if Christ be not raised, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Keep in mind what I preached unto you, you will be saved. What are the things you preach unto us? Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again. Okay, now. Let's go over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, same chapter. And we're going to be taking a look at verse 12. Let's start at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Verse 14. Look at verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, really pay attention to this verse, folks. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that, there, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, look at this, verse 17. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If Christ be not raised, there is no salvation. So, what's this saying? That the, the torture of Christ doesn't save you now please pay careful attention to what i'm saying please do not misunderstand me 
that the torture of Christ itself does not save you. That the crucifixion of Christ alone itself does not save you. That the shedding of blood alone itself does not save you. That the burial alone itself does not save you. And that the resurrection alone itself does not save you. It's the whole work. The whole work. The whole work of Christ was him was the uh, the shedding of blood, the death, burial, resurrection. The whole thing as a whole there is what is needed for your salvation. There had to be a shedding of blood, the death, and resurrection. Because the wage of sin is death, so there had to be a death. And, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, so there had to be a shedding of blood. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have power to lay down mine own life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. So what does it say in Isaiah 53? His days will be prolonged. So what is the point, the purpose of the resurrection? To show how he defeated death and he can give everlasting life. All those who believe in me will never die. Believest thou this? He proves everlasting life, the, the, the salvation the gift of everlasting life he proves all this by his resurrection he proves that he can give you salvation everlasting life you can live you will live forever by his resur resurrection there had to be death burial resurrection as a whole if christ be not raised you are yet in your sins that's what it says so therefore salvation itself is wrought by the death burial resurrection just as he says in in uh, in uh, chapter 15 here first corinthians first corinthians 15 1 to 4. these are the three things that are that are that you need to believe to be saved it's what it says that's what romans 10 9 to 10 is all about that he died for your sins and that god raised him from the dead if you don't believe that you're not saved. If you doubt the crucifixion, you're not saved. If you doubt his death, you're not saved. If you doubt his shedding of blood, you're not saved. Doubt his burial, not saved. If you doubt his resurrection, not saved. But if you believe all of these things as the scriptures have said, then you have everlasting life. That's what the Bible says. That's what the word of God says. That the resurrection should be preached every time you preach about the cross. You can't just isolate one thing. Yes, he went to the cross for our salvation. Yes, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Yes, he died for our sins. Yes, he shed his blood. Yes, he died on the cross. But he rose again. The thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, too, is that no other so-called god or deity or savior ever resurrected themselves from the dead now according to myth and lore of some of the other religions and whatnot some gods have died and whatnot but none of them rose themselves from the dead because what did jesus say in john chapter 10 let's take a look 
Let's go back to John chapter 10. Look at what it says in John chapter 10, verse 18. John chapter 10, verse 18. No man taketh it from me. Now, what's he talking about in verse 17? I lay down my life that I might take it again. What does this is Jesus talking, all right? I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again to bring myself back is what he's saying i have power to take it again this commandment have i received of my father jesus is literally saying i have personal power to lay down my own life and bring myself back again no other world religion has a resurrected savior no other world religion, no other world belief system has a savior, a God, who can give his own life and bring himself back, back to life again. Think about that. Now, with that said, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The whole gospel is the death, burial, resurrection. It, it goes as a whole, these three points, these three aspects here, these three doctrines, the death, the burial, the resurrection, just as the word of God flat out said, just as Jesus said multiple times, this is what, this is what would happen, that I will be crucified and buried, but I will come again. He said this multiple times and he kept his word. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is directly, directly necessary. Uh, to uh, to understand and believe just as much as the as the cross shedding of blood and the death barrel. You need to understand the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. So with that, there's an intro for you. All right. So with that, Mark chapter sixteen. Let's start it here at verse one. So we see Jesus died. Uh, they took his body. They wrapped it in the grave linens, anointing him with the, with the spices and all the stuff. And then they put him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, that his own personal tomb they had carved out of rock. It was a special one. So then they set Jesus in there and the stone, a great stone was rolled in place. Now, what is the need of the stone? Well, what kind of stone is this? This is a very big boulder, <laughs> a really big boulder. That's put in place, why? To stop you know, grave robbers, animals, things that could get in that would defile, harm the body. And also, as we see, the Pharisees wanted uh, this grave specifically protected because they believed that the disciples of Jesus would come and steal the body away and then claim that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what the Pharisees are saying. So they went and pled with uh uh, with Pilate and all this, and, or was it the Herod? And they, you know, Pilate, and they uh, sent soldiers to guard the tomb. Now, these Roman soldiers are veterans of war. They don't sleep on the job it, because their life is literally dependent on this. If they are distracted, if they uh, 
uh, fail at their posting, if they run away or wander off, they fall asleep, they're put to death. The sentence is death if they fail at their job. So they're very alert, and plus these are veterans of war. They know what they're doing, and they're heavily armed. They have all of their battle armor on, their shields and spears and swords and everything. You're not taking advantage of them. You're not sneaking up on them. They know what they're doing, and they know how to hold their ground. These are fierce Roman soldiers. All right. So they're standing around, around the tomb as well, and the stone is also sealed. Now, exactly how is it sealed? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but what is figured is that what they did is they'd have like a rope or a ribbon or something, wax seals and uh, on each end and on the stone, so that if there's some monkeying with it that'll break off, you can know what's going on. It's just uh, uh, kind of like, you, you know, a police line. They put the police ribbon kind of, it's that kind of an idea. So, but who knows? All right, so Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might, might come and anoint him. And this all goes in again as a part of the burial. Some of them weren't able to get there before they they buried jesus and sealed it up so these ones wanted to come and finish the grave preparation all this and it's just an honoring thing to cover the smell of death idea is what the spices and all this are for but there's something i want to talk about hypothetically all right this is purely hypothetically if jesus himself was still in the grave to this day all right two thousand years later let's hypothetically just say if jesus was still in the grave he would still look like he, the way he did back then there's no decomposition well, how's that possible because there was no sin in him no sin jesus had no sin it is sin that causes death. That's why Jesus gave up his own spirit. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost and his body died because the body without the spirit is dead. But because Jesus had no sin, his body could not die naturally. You see, sin causes death. That's why Jesus could not bleed to death. That's why Jesus could not have died of a broken heart. That's why Jesus could not have died of whatever else the people say is weird excuses. He could not physically die of any form of natural cause. That's why Jesus also says, you can't kill me. You can't kill me. Plus also the fact that Jesus would not have died before the appointed time. Because Jesus is God. You can't kill him. You can't kill him. You can't do anything to him that he doesn't want you to do. You can't You can't take his life. He has power over his own life and he brings himself back, back to life again. As we see he gave up the ghost and he brought the spirit back and he raised himself from the dead. What it says. So we, we see here 
that according to the scriptures, as he is the perfect lamb of God, without blemish, without spot, there's no sin in him. He knew no sin, he did no sin, in him was no sin. So because of that, uh, he would not have decomposed. Just something to think about. It's rather interesting. But some people just didn't quite grasp that, didn't quite click in. And so they're coming to anoint the body out of honor and respect for the purpose of the spices and all this stuff is to, to cover the smell of death and all of that. So that's what they were coming to do. Verse 2, And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said amongst themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? As they're coming, because... They don't know how they're going to get in. They want to get in, but there's this giant stone, and who's going to move it? Are the soldiers going to move it? Should we go get help to go, to come remove it? What, how, are we, how are we going to go about this? So they're coming up, and verse 4, And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. Now, this is mentioned... Uh, a number of times in the scriptures uh, throughout the gospels but the stone the great stone a great stone the stone was very great so just so you understand it wasn't like a bunch of little blocks or something like this or a little boulder it was a giant huge boulder that one or two or three people it, themselves would not be able to move all right it was very great so they're kind of stunned and they're coming up and they see that the stone has moved Okay, so they come up to the, the, the tomb and entering into the sepulcher. Look what it says in verse 5. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Now, According to some of the other Gospels, it talks a little bit more uh, about how this one also radiated and shone uh, bright like a bright light. And uh, this young man sitting on the right side of where Jesus' body was, he's sitting on the right side, and uh, he's just sitting there waiting. He's just sitting there waiting. And the ladies come and they come in and they see him and they're just absolutely terrified. Now, could you imagine your reaction? Put yourself in their shoes. You're, you're coming up with the spices and the stone's gone and you're already worked up about that. And you come in and there's this spirit, an angel, angel of God sitting there, shining in long white garment. What would be your reaction? They were affrighted affrighted that's stunned shocked terrified verse 6 and he saith unto them be not affrighted now there's something though this is a related rabbit trail uh you'll note whenever it's an angel of god whenever it's an angel of god a messenger from the lord anything of the lord uh spirits that are sent by god as angels are spirits that's what they are a spirit is a, a person individual person it's a a person without a physical body all right so there are good spirits and bad spirits there's that they're angels or demons that's what they are now 
when an uh, when an angel uh, is uh, is sent to you they always 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 start with worry not fear not be not afraid they always dispel fear that's the first thing they do you will note that whenever a demonic spirit shows up even when they're mass mass masquerading as an angel of god as you see, as Satan himself can appear as an angel of light, and his ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness, whose angel be according to the works. Whenever they show up, they, they never do that. Because they revel in fear, stun, shock, horror, terror. They they revel in that. They love that. They they want you to be in awe and, and fear of them. But the angels of God always dispel fear. They always say, Do not be afraid. This is why I'm here. God has sent me. They always, always preface, uh, preface themselves with that. So this young man, the, the first thing he says is, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. No, notice he uses the exact same words that Jesus used. When Jesus is walking on the water and, the, and he's coming up and the apostles are in the boat and then the storm and they're all terrified and they see Jesus and they're terrified even more because they don't know what's going on and what does jesus say be not afraid it is i this angel uses the same words the same words be not afraid ye seek jesus of nazareth which was crucified which was crucified just like he said and look what he says verse six Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now, some people comment and talk about the individuals in the Bible and about their reactions to things. They wonder about, you know, why did they react that way? Okay, you do realize that these are normal regular folk right with emotions brains just like you and me and that shock stun ptsd is a very real thing you know that's something that a lot of people don't really consider all right put yourself in their shoes what was the last Thing you witnessed with Jesus you witnessed him being beaten nearly to death that any normal person would have died under the torture alone he was shredded beyond belief you literally could see the bones of his ribs he, they tore him open, dislocated his joints. His visage was so marred beyond any man you couldn't recognize him. They ripped his beard out of his face. They pummeled him. The crown of thorns, they beat into his skull. He was completely mutilated. Blood everywhere. It was a gory, gory mess. Then they nailed him to a cross, speared him in the side, and he's dead, and his dead body mutilated destroyed body was then wrapped up and put in the tomb that's the last thing you saw now could you imagine what how you would feel what your emotional state would be what your mental state would be if you witnessed that with your own eyes you'd be suffering some form of anxiety and ptsd 
that this individual that you loved who you understood is the messiah the christ the savior you were with him for three years you loved him and he's dead mutilated tortured died you'd be really struggling at this point you'd be really struggling right now and so you're you're trying to come to grips with this and the and and the sheer <clears throat> fear and the torture and everything else that happened kind of wipes your brain clean you forget everything he's been saying before you forget how he talked about this multiple times before you forget that he said that he would rise again all you could think of is that jesus is dead jesus is dead he was tortured and killed and you're going to anoint the body and suddenly the body's gone <laughs> And there's an angel of God sitting there saying, he is risen. He's not here. Look, see. What would be going through your brain? What would be going through your brain right now? Uh, not much. <laughs> you, you would be just shocked, stunned, scared. What's going on? See? Verse 6. Verse 6. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. So you're looking. The, there's, there's the linen. There's the, the grave clothes. They're there, but the body's gone. Verse 7, but go your way, the angel says, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. So what is the angel doing? What do the messengers of God, the angels of God do? Do they tell you some new thing? Or do they tell you again what the Lord has already said? That the messengers of God, the angels of God, what do they do? They repeat the word of God. They don't teach you some new thing. They don't give you new revelations. They cause you to be in remembrance of what the Lord has already said. For it is already written. So this angel is telling them what Jesus has already told them and causing them to remember. Causing them to remember. Just as he said, what did not Jesus say before the whole thing that where Jesus says that he will go before them into Galilee? I will go before you into Galilee. After I'm risen, I'll go before you into Galilee and there you shall see me. Didn't Jesus say that? Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. So he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Now, verse eight. Now, here's something I, I need to... Oh, yeah, so there it is. Okay. All right, so from here, just give me a sec. I'm trying to catch up some of my notes. I don't have all my notes ready, which is bad. I'm sorry. All right, there it is. Okay. All right, so here, from 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 this point here, 
we see the these ones, these women, are filled with fear. But they're also surprised, shocked, and that this angel is telling them so they, they, they have this revelation, this vision, this, this angel of God that's speaking to them, tell them this, and so they're like, okay. So they go to run back home, right? Look at it says, verse 8. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. There's a bit of fear there. For they trembled and were amazed. They were shaking. They were so just shaking in fear and just excitement and fear and everything else from having this encounter with an angel of God. And the body of Jesus is gone. So their minds are just in a state. Now... What do we see about the Lord according to scripture? God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a what? Sound mind. A sound mind. Now that's important. Look at it says, For they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And they, they were so shocked and stunned that they couldn't even speak. And so they're running and they're they're running back home like the angel said to do so they're running back home and guess what happens please take your bibles and turn with me to matthew chapter 28. matthew chapter 28. now i i absolutely love this passage in Matthew 28. This is one of the most important parts of the Bible. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible for apologetics or teaching for everything. This says it all right here in Matthew 28. So these women are running back home and they're in such a state. What happens? Their minds are not sound. They are terrified out of their mind. They're just shocked and stunned out of their wits. They can't even speak. They're, they're in such a state. Matthew 28. Verse 8. Matthew 28. Verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. Verse 9. As they were heading back. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, what does it say? Verse 9, Jesus met them in the way. Jesus met them in the way. These women who are in such a state, running back to tell his disciples, Jesus meets them. Right in the road. Jesus appears. Jesus met them. And what did, he, what did Jesus say? Look what it says. Matthew 28, verse 9. What does it say? Someone tell me in the comments. What does it say? Matthew 28, verse 9, Jesus meets them and says, what? What does he say? It's very important. Very important. No, that's not what he says. Jesus meets them in the road. Matthew 28, verse 9. Jesus met them and said, there you go, Kimberly, there you go, Kurt, all hail, all hail. Now, why is that significant? 
What does it mean to hail someone? That's celebration. That is honoring someone as in a position of authority and rule. Jesus meets them and, sa and says, all hail. Hail who? Specifically. All hail. So he is inviting them to hail himself. And, and Jesus says, all hail. And then what does it say? And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? <laughs> well, he does call himself God multiple times. And he did here, right here in verse 9. So when you got when you got Muslims or someone like that asking you that stupid question, where in the Bible does Jesus say, I am God, worship me? Point them to Matthew 20, verse 9. Because from here you go from the prophecies that declare who he is, the personal declarations by Jesus himself, what he says, and then right here, all hail. So he's inviting them to worship him. Jesus stands there and says, all hail. He's, that's a personal invitation to them to come and worship him as king, as God. They grabbed him by the feet and worshipped him. Now, what is the other thing that, that is shown here? Jesus does not stop them. He does not correct them. He does not redirect them. But he accepts their worship and blesses them. You see that? Jesus says, all hail invitation to worship himself angels don't do that prophets don't do that holy men don't do that let's back up just for a moment let's rewind the tape let's go back 750 years from this point 750 years before jesus christ we see the prophets. We see specifically the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of God came down upon Isaiah, revealed to him these truths, and Isaiah did prophesy. And he spoke about how a virgin will conceive, will bring forth a son, and his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child born by the virgin will be called God with us. Now, that's not symbolic. That's literal. We see Jeremiah 31, 22. The Lord will do a new thing in the earth. Behold, a woman will compass a man. What does that mean? To compass. We see a man and the woman bypasses. Bypass. So she will bypass a man, but not by the by, by the natural uh, ways uh, of humanity, of uh, procreation, but rather this woman will conceive supernaturally. Isaiah 7, 14, Jeremiah 31, 22. They go together, but the, but the virgin birth. A virgin, 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 will have a child. Now, Isaiah 9, 6, it will be a son. It will be a boy. The child-born son given. Son. And he will be known as, what? One who has all power and authority and rulership. 
the government will be upon his shoulders, meaning all power of authority is given to him. Colossians 2.9, in him dwells, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All that makes up God, everything of God, every aspect of God, the whole aspect of God, the Godhead, will be in him. That's what it says. And not just that, Isaiah 9.6, his, his names, his titles, he'll be wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then skip ahead 750 years. Jesus at the at the well, waiting for the Samaritan woman. She comes and speaks to him, and. As they're talking, she says, We know that when, when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. Now, Christ, Messiah, what is the Christ? What is the Messiah? Messiah is the anointed one, the promised one, the Christ. The Christ means, as is the title that is given to the understanding of the spirit of the living God would come down and present himself to the people like he said he would. The prophecy, the promise of the Spirit of God coming to us is the Christ, the Messiah, God himself on earth. She says that when the Messiah, the Christ, is come, he'll teach us all things. And Jesus says, I this speak unto thee am he. I am the Christ Messiah. Just as the prophet said, Acts 10, 43, to him gave all the prophets witness. All the prophets spoke of him. And Jesus says, that's me. Jesus proved this by accepting worship of the crippled man, the woman caught in adultery, and Mary washed his feet with tears. He, he accepted worship. And of these women here after the resurrection, he accepted worship. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus claimed the names of God multiple times. That even the Pharisees knew this. The Pharisees picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus says, for what good work do you stone me? They said, not for good work do, uh, do we stone thee, but because thou being a man makest thyself God. You're making yourself God. Even they knew this. John chapter 8, if you actually count it, through John chapter 8, Jesus claims the I am name of God five times. Five times he calls us up the I am. When you go back into Exodus, you see Moses asks God, when I go to the people like you sent me, and I say that the God of your fathers has sent me, they will say, well, what is his name? Or what name should I tell them? And the God says, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto them, I am hath sent you. Jesus called himself the I am name of God five times. And they knew this. Hast thou seen Abraham? You're not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he claimed the name of God. Jesus also said in John 8, 24, If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Many, 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 many times, Jesus claimed the names of God, accepted worship, forgave sins, raised the dead to life, did, did things that angels, prophets, and holy men cannot do he did 
Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. I give eternal life. Angels, holy men, and prophets cannot do that. And we also see in Psalm 23, you know the famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, did you ever notice in verse 1 of Psalm 23, it says, Lord, Lord is all upper caps. L-O-R-D, all uppercase. You know, that's, that's, that's important. That's significant. The way that the word of God is written, the words that are said are significant. The specific words are significant. The way the words are spelled are, or presented is significant. L-O-R-D, all uppercase, means Jehovah God. The Lord God, Jehovah God, is my, she- is my good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah God is my shepherd. What does Jesus say in John 10? (laughs) I am the good shepherd. (laughs) I am the good shepherd. All throughout the Gospels, it was there in front of your face. How could you say he's not God? How can some say he's Michael the Archangel? That's just absurd. How could you say, well, he's the son of God, but he's not God. You clearly do not understand the Bible. You've never actually read it. You may have cherry-picked bits and read little bits, but you've never actually studied the thing. Jesus says, I am God. Worship me. He says it. He proves it. He proves himself in many infallible proofs. He raises himself from the dead. He claims the names of God. He forgives sins. He gives everlasting life. He saves souls. He raised the dead to life. Who can do this but God? Who can do this but God? And then you see outside of the Gospels that the the epistles of the apostles, uh, of what the things that they've written, they even say it multiple times. He is God. The most blatant is is a First John five twenty. First John five twenty. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Titus, God was manifested in the flesh. John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. Verse fourteen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's what it says. It's what it says. That's what it says. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. God purchased the church with his own blood. What it says. How could you say that's not the case? How could you work your way around that? Why would you want to change the gospel and make Jesus something other than what the word of God flat out says? Who would want to do that? Devils, false prophets, deceitful workers, liars, as the Bible calls them, heretics preaching damnable doctrines, doctrines of devils. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. What does that mean? Did you know that Son of God literally means God the Son? Now, what does that mean? God manifested in the flesh. God's own 
body that he made. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8, God fashioned a body for himself that he then indwelt. Colossians 2 9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That the all that made up God, everything about him is in the body of Jesus. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am in the Father, the Father in me, I am the Father I want. That's what it says. God incarnate, exactly. God incarnate, God in the flesh. That's what, that's what Son of God means. The Son, that God, God made the body through Mary. It sparked life in her womb. He sparked life in her womb. And then his spirit indwelt that life. And she gave birth to the child, to the son, just like he said would happen. Bypassing the man. Why? This is an interesting one. You know why? You know why that, that was necessary? Because <clears throat> sin, the uh, sin from Adam, that the continuance of it comes through the father comes through the father sin sin it comes through the bloodline of the father who is the father of jesus who is the father of jesus what does the bible say now i'd like you to really think about this one very carefully i want you to be technically specifically accurate who specifically is the father of jesus what does the bible say ignore catechisms and all of that what does the bible flat out say who is the father specifically of jesus think about it what did gabriel tell mary the holy spirit The Father of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and you will be found with child. The Holy Spirit is the Father of Jesus. Think about that. Think about that. Now, let's look at that one just a little bit there. Who is, what is the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus say in John 4? God is spirit. God is spirit. God is spirit. God is also omnipresent, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, right? He's not locked into one spot or another. He is everywhere all the time, so he can be anywhere at any time at the same time everywhere. See, this is who he is. He's all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. Now, with this, God is the father of all things, right? He's the father of all creation. He made everything. How did he make everything? By speaking. 
So he's the father of all things, and he's the creator of all things by speaking. So he is the word. He is the living word. He is the father, he is the word, and he is spirit. Three in one. And the fullness of the Godhead was in the body of Jesus. Because this is important, because you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think about that. Think about that. So, okay, I'm just, the reason I'm pointing this out is so you understand who Jesus really is. And now, since God is spirit, we see this as God is spirit, uh, as the, the Bible says, no man hath seen God any time and lived, that we're not allowed to see him as he is in his, in his form. So that he always has a veil covering. He always has a veil covering because we can't look upon him as he is. So we see whenever he would show himself to the people, he would always have a veil covering the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory cloud upon the tabernacle, the temple, uh, the burning bush, or the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus is a veil covering like the cloud, like the fire, like the burning bush, like the, uh, the, the Shekinah glory cloud upon the tabernacle, the body of Jesus is a veil covering of the spirit of the living God. Now, the reason he made the, the flesh and blood body is because, well, spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. But there had to be a death and a shedding of blood. There had to be a death and shedding of blood. That's why Acts 20, 28 says God purchased the church with his own blood. But how can spirits do that? They can't. So God fashioned a body for himself so that he could. You say that? Jesus is God Almighty. Jesus is God Almighty. This is so important, so important. Um, so many people don't understand this aspect. They don't understand the depth of the power of this. Um, when we take a look at the scriptures, when Jesus says, but whom say ye that I am? We take a look at Jesus in the gospels, the specific things that he did, said in, in my name cast out devils. Can you cast out devils in the name of angels like Catholics do? No, that's stupid. Because we also see in the book of Jude, Michael the archangel, when disputing about the body of Moses with the devil, dared not bring a railing accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel is less powerful than Lucifer. So if you believe Jesus is Michael the archangel, you got a little bit of a problem because your Jesus is less powerful than Lucifer. FYI. But we see Jesus in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4 rebuking the devil multiple times. Rebuking him. Uh, but it, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now, now what what uh what uh does Jesus say to the devil in the temptation in the wilderness? What is Satan doing? What is Satan doing? It's called the temptation in the wilderness, right? For a reason. The temptation in the wilderness. 
Jesus being is being tempted by the devil. And what does Jesus say? It is written, tempt not the Lord your God. Satan was tempting Jesus. Satan was tempting Jesus. Jesus says, tempt not the Lord your God. Tempt not the Lord your God. Jesus right there, Matthew 4, claims to be God. The God of Scripture. And then Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, again, we see on the road to J Jerusalem, Satan, it, through, through Peter, is trying to, again, cause trouble with Jesus. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. But Michael the archangel couldn't even do that. But Jesus did. Proving Jesus is not Michael. Jesus, as well, we see forgives sins. The crippled man, the woman caught in adultery, Mary washed his feet with tears. Jesus is accepting worship of individuals. The wise men at his birth, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the blind men, the lepers, Thomas, and the disciples after the resurrection. Worshipped him. Now this is worshipped as you worship God. They worshipped him. They didn't, like some people say, no, it's not just, it's not worship like you think worship. It's just veneration. If you have your phone with you, or if you have a dictionary near you, look up the word veneration. You'll see that the word veneration literally means worship. They didn't worship him, they worshipped him. <laughs> okay, whatever. John 10, 18, Jesus has power to lay down his own life and raise, raise himself from the dead. John 10, 27, 28, Jesus says he personally gives eternal life. John 4, 26, Jesus claims to be the Christ Messiah as prophesied by the prophets, the Almighty God. Jesus calls himself the I Am multiple times. He claims other names of the living God, proving that, proving that he is who he is. He proves it by many infallible proofs of actions through miracles and things. So, who is Jesus? Who is he? Let's take a look at another passage here, just for a minute, and then, then we'll continue on in our study of Matthew 16. Mark, Mark 16. Mark 16. We see Jesus, the name above all names, right? You know that passage. You know, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. You know this one. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name above all names, whose name every knee will bow. We know that one, right? Did you know that that, that passage is repeated two other times in the Bible? The name above all names, at whose name every knee will bow? Romans 14, verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That's interesting. Philippians 2, uh, 10, 11 is repeated in Romans 14, 11. But wait. There's another one. Isaiah 45. Now, you remember, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, right? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. <laughs> I am God. 
Every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall swear. Philippians 2, 10 to 11 says it's Jesus. But we see additional passages. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. We see as well, um, Matthew 28, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So that makes sense. When we understand that Jesus is God, he, he is almighty God in the flesh, flesh and bone, standing right in front of you. This is God incarnate, God manifest in the flesh. And when he says, all hail, Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. God was manifest in the flesh. Now you know it's capital G. Okay, let me just ask you a question. Uh, Joseph England here says he used to be a Seventh-day Adventist and now, now he's a believer. Now here, here's, here's just something to think about here, uh, Joseph, uh, if I could ask you a question. You see how nonsensical the Seventh-day Adventists are because they say Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Then why, now are angels, angels in the Bible, are they ever mentioned as uh, as like God, sons of God with a capital G? What does capital G mean? What's a capital G mean? Versus a lowercase g. But you see in Psalm 82, I have said, ye are all gods and son of the most high. That's capital. That's not a capital G. It's a lowercase g. So what's the significance of a capital G? You see, letters, capitalizations are important. They're significant. They are important. So you see how the very fact that it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh, that's a capital G. So therefore, that means God Almighty and not a lower being like an angel. You see that? Capitalizations are important. 1 Timothy 4.10 For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, capital G, who is the Savior of all men. Again, 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Now again, capital G. So let's let's continue on in our study here. Let's continue on in our study. So Matthew 28 verse 9. All hail. He says to these women who are fleeing the tomb And they're running back and Jesus meets them and says, all hail. All hail. That's invitation to worship. 
because he is God. Because you're, you hail none other. If Jesus is not God, if Jesus is just an angel, if Jesus is just some prophet, what are these women doing worshiping him? What's this one doing claiming the, claiming the names of God if it's just an angel or a prophet? What's this one doing raising the dead to life if it's just an angel or a prophet? What's this one doing forgiving sins just as the Pharisees said? When Jesus forgave the sins of the, of the, of the paralyzed man or they let him down through the roof on the bed and Jesus says, Some thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Pharisee says, Who is this one that doth forgive sins? There's none that can forgive sins but God. Do angels forgive sins? No. Do prophets forgive sins? No. Do popes and priests and kings forgive sins? No. Only God can forgive sins. The only thing the Pharisees ever got right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, worship me. Jesus says, worship me. Go back to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Verse 8. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they any anything unto any man, for they, for they were afraid. Now, it right there from the end of verse 8. All right. The end of verse 8 to the beginning of verse 9, there's a space of time right there. In between verse 8 and 9, there's a space of time, because that's right there in between verses 8 and 9 is where Jesus met them and says, All hail. And they came and worshipped him. If you want, you can write in the margin right there between verse 8 and 9. You can write uh, Matthew 28, verse 9. Matthew 28, verse 9, right there. Just to remind you that uh, that's what happened when those women fled the tomb. Now we see some more time is, is, is gone in verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Now, she came back. Uh, she, did, she wasn't there when, when Jesus says, All hail. She, she was still at the, at the tomb. She was, she was in wandering through the garden that was there by the tomb in tears and sorrow because he's gone. Now, Jesus meets her. And he, and he meets her, but now... There's a question. How come she did not recognize him? She figured he was the garden keeper. And she said, Sir, if you have taken the body, please tell me where he is so, so, I, so I can go, go and, and see him. And he says, Mary, Mary. And then she realizes who he is and she says, Master. And, and yeah, it's a beautiful story. But a question. How come she didn't recognize him? How come Mary Magdalene did not recognize Jesus in the garden? What did Jesus look like at, at the, the last time they saw him? He was being beaten and tortured and his visage was marred and his beard was gone and he was beaten to a bloody pulp. That was the last, that was the last thing, the last image that they had of him. Now, PTSD is is an extreme extreme mental issue where these seriously shocking horrific events lock in the mind and that's all you can think about 
you kind of forget what the what the person looked like before if you've gone through some some trauma like this now that's why she didn't recognize him because with the what the way jesus looked like the last time they saw him was what he looked like on the cross because when jesus resurrected when jesus resurrected all of the scars and the trauma all of the cuts and gashes were healed his beard grew back he brought himself back like he was before the crucifixion the only things that jesus kept were the nail prints in his hands and feet and the spear hole in his side these are the only things that he kept everything else was healed his joints clicked back into place his beard grew back all the gashes and cuts were healed his, his beard grew back the scalp was all healed everything he went back to the way he looked like before the crucifixion with exception of the nail print scars and the spear hole that's why she did not recognize him she saw him healed but jesus was all brutally beaten and tortured and everything in the tomb so that's why she didn't recognize him at first just something something interesting now if we go over to john chapter 20. john chapter 20 verses 11 to 18. we want to take a look at this john chapter 20. let's see in verse 10 verse 10 when you know that the the angel told them to go back and tell the disciples verse 10 and the disciples went away again to their own own home but mary stood without the sepulcher weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of jesus had lain and they said to her woman why weepest thou why are you wandering around crying they tell her again why weepest thou? She said to them, Because I, they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when they and when she had said that, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Who, who are you looking for? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him sir if thou hast borne him hence tell me where thou hast laid him then i will take him away then jesus says unto her mary now we we can't exactly deduce tone uh, of way things are said in some of the passages but if you actually read the context, if you read what's going on, you read what's being said, you read the the state, the emotional state, the, the situation, the whole thing, and you understand the character of Jesus and who he is and who Mary Magdalene is, and you understand what the events of what is happening currently right here. How do you get someone's attention who is broken and emotionally distraught and crying because they're out of pure love, they're longing for their for their Messiah to be back? How do you think Jesus said her name? There you go, Mary. No, it's not a rebuke. 
There is there's no harshness. It's a word of, of love. He's saying her name comfortingly. Mary. Mary. That's to get her attention, but, but in a way of, of gentleness, because she's broken. Mary. Now he says her name in the way that he would have said it before. In the same voice as she would recognize the voice. It's the voice, the word of the living God. The voice of Jesus. Jesus says unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say master. So, all right, so this is also in between verses 8 and 9 of, Ma of Mark 16. I want to keep wanting to say Matthew. It's Mark, Mark 16. All right, so when Jesus risen early in the, in, the, in, the, in the day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that that, uh, that had been and she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Exactly. My sheep know my voice. Exactly. Now, how does the Lord speak to us? Not in harshness, but in gentleness. Now, verse 12. After that, he appeared in other form unto two of them as they walked and went to the country. Now, who is this two? This is Luke 24. So please take your Bible and turn to Luke 24. This is the on the road to Emmaus. The, the two that are walking on the road to, to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus met them. And again, he disguised himself in a way that so they wouldn't recognize him right off the bat. And he spoke with them. And then he eventually revealed himself to them. That's uh, Luke 24, 13 to 50, the road to Emmaus. And that they went, verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Now, you got to ask yourself a question. So, suddenly, you have a bunch of women and a bunch of other guys, all, all these disciples come and just, they're constantly coming. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. Jesus is alive. He spoke with us. He walked with us. He walked us down the road and then he sat to have dinner with us. This is him. Jesus is alive. And the disciples are like, no. I don't believe it. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. How? How, how could you be like that? How could you not? What would cause a person to be in such a state of depression that you just, you, you can't believe it? Trauma and PTSD because they were there the, the these these disciples or the john was there uh, and we see peter denied the lord he saw what happened and so we see such a state of just trauma and anguish and depression and all this ptsd is over overwhelming their minds they can't think straight they can't even think they can't remember what the lord said before Verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. He appeared to the disciples in the upper room. He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had been sent after he was risen. Jesus appears to them and says, why are you not believing them? Look, I, did I not tell you I would rise again? So he's 
instructing them. Now, what also happens here is John chapter 20 is what we want to take a look at. John chapter 20. Please take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20, because this is really important. John chapter 20, and we want verses, starting at verse 19. This is the one of the 11 that Jesus appeared to. So at verse 19, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. This is also part of why they're in such a state. Because they're terrified out of their minds that they're next. Because the Jews are in such an uproar for crucifying, crucifying, and the torture and everything else they did to Jesus. They're terrified that it's going to happen to them too. The Jews are going to come for them. So they hide away in an upper room and they lock the door and they're huddling in the corner kind of thing terrified for fear of the jews and and jesus came and stood in the midst so they're all standing around they're milling around and they're trying to figure out what to do and all of a sudden jesus just appears right in the middle of them jesus stood in the midst and says unto them what peace be unto you peace dispelling fear dispelling confusion Fear not, worry not, peace be still, peace be unto you. Verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands. He showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. If Jesus isn't God, if Jesus is not God, how how is he dispersing the Holy Ghost of God? How, uh, angels, prophets, and holy men can't disperse the Spirit of God. You see what I mean? Jesus breathed on them the Holy Ghost. He breathed on them the Holy Ghost. Uh, how? Colossians 2.9 In him dwells the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. Again, like I said earlier, who is the Father of Jesus? The Holy Ghost. Which is God. God is Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. His spirit moved on the waters. And then he breathed and he spoke and created all things. God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Father of all things. God is the living word. 
He is everywhere present, all-powerful, all-knowing. And the fullness of the Godhead is in the body of Jesus. Jesus breathes on them the Holy Ghost. See? He breathes on them the Holy Ghost. And he breathed on them, uh, on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, Thomas wasn't there at the first. You know, doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see that first visitation of Jesus with the, with the other disciples in the upper room. But Thomas uh, uh, shows up later in verse 25. The disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he didn't believe. Thomas was a bit of a cynic. A bit of a doubter, also known as Doubting Thomas. And he says, says, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Until I see this fully myself, see his hands, touch his hands, touch his side, until I see it myself, I'm not believing it. What a cynic. But the Lord, the grace of God, verse 26. Eight days later, eight days later, his disciples are with him and Thomas was finally with them in the upper room. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut, the doors were shut. Now, as we saw, the doors are shut and locked, barricaded. Right? The doors were barricaded. The disciples are all together in the room. The doors are barricaded. Thomas is with them. And Jesus suddenly stood in the midst. And he says, peace be unto you. Again, dispelling the fear. And he immediately turns to Thomas. He immediately turns to Thomas and says, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. How did Jesus know that Thomas said that? Are angels all-knowing? It's the same as when Jesus was calling his disciples at the beginning of the gospel, and he says, Philip, before before uh, Na- uh, was it Nathan ca- came and called you, behold, I-, I saw you under the fig tree. Philip was in a whole other town over. He was a whole other town over, sitting under under this specific tree. And Jesus says, I saw you. Did Jesus? Ha- did he have binoculars, a telescope? How did he see him? How do you know that? How, how did Jesus know? You go into the town, you'll find this, this cult tied up here, and the people will ask you this question, tell them this answer. How did Jesus know things before they happened? Because he's God. The angels know all things. Are they all seeing, all knowing, everywhere present? No. No. But Jesus says this. Now look at this, verse 27. Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, just like Thomas had said. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, just like Thomas had said, and be not faithless, but believing. As we see in another passage, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, okay, this is important. Thomas's reaction. Jesus says, behold my hands on my side. What does Thomas say?
If you're looking in your Bible, look at John chapter 20, verse 28. John chapter 20, verse 28. John chapter 20, verse 28. What does Thomas say? What does Thomas call Jesus? Now, you'll notice something very interesting. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Capital G. My Lord and my God. Now, this is also significant because the things that Thomas says here, my Lord and my God, what does that mean specifically, technically? When you take Lord, now, now there's three different ways to spell Lord in scripture that has three different meanings, three different meanings, okay? Now, you'll see in the Bible, Lord, all lowercase, lowercase l-o-r-d. That means like head of a house, head of a family, that kind of thing. Then you'll see Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. That's like king, ruler, governor. Then you'll see Lord, all uppercase, which means Jehovah God. The king above all kings, the God above all gods. That's Jehovah God, Lord God Almighty. Now, look what he says. He says, my Lord, and it's it's uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D. That's king. That's king, ruler, authority. And my God, capital G. Then you take, take this spelling of the word Lord, and you put it with God, Lord God, Lord God, uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D, Lord God, that means Almighty Jehovah God of Israel. <laughs> Thomas falls at the feet of Jesus and calls him the Almighty Lord God of Israel. <laughs> you see what happens when you actually study your Bible? Thomas calls Jesus Almighty Lord God of Israel. <laughs> now, what is Jesus' reaction? Thomas worships Jesus and calls him Almighty God. What is Jesus' reaction? Now, what would an angel do or a prophet do if you fell at the feet of an angel or a prophet and called them Almighty Lord God of Israel? They would rebuke that. They would immediately deny that. Michael, the archangel, would immediately reject that and redirect you to the Lord. But what was Jesus' reaction when Thomas calls him Almighty God? Jesus says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus blesses him and teaches him. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't reject it. He doesn't redirect it. Jesus accepts Thomas's worship. Jesus accepts Thomas's de declaration of deity. You see that? You see that? Now, there's one other thing here. Now, that Jesus 
in the upper room in this moment everyone is just astounded everyone is amazed and and look at this they go to luke chapter 24. luke chapter 24. luke chapter 24. now this here in luke 24 is when jesus first appears to the disciples in the upper room thomas is not with them okay this is the first time Thomas is not with them. In Luke 24, and we went verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and says, Peace be unto you. Now, verse 37. This is why Jesus said peace. They were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And verse 38, Jesus said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? How did Jesus know the thoughts that were in their hearts? Can angels read your thoughts? Can angels, can prophets read the thoughts of your heart? No, only God can. Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself handle me and see for spirit hath not flesh and bones as yes as you see me have why is that significant why is this significant that jesus said this because there are crazy people out there who do not believe in the bodily resurrection of jesus christ they believe he arose spiritually it was a spiritual resurrection or it's just the energy of jesus Jesus says, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, they yet believed not for joy and wondered, they were still wondering, but they're joyful, they're hoping. It is, Jesus says, verse 41 of Luke 24, verse 41, have ye here any meat? Look what it says, verse 42. And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, verse 43, and he took it and did eat before them. The spirit has not flesh and bones like me. Here, give me something to eat. I'll prove it. And he ate some fish and a honeycomb, proving it was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Any who say he did not rise bodily, show them that. Show them that. Show them the passage where he appeared before Thomas and, and he says, thrust your fingers and hands in me. You see, spirits aren't malleable. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. Spirits can't eat. Spirits don't eat like this. Look at this. Have you here any meat? And they give a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. Now, also, FYI, if you also want to... Uh, uh, play a bit of a Bible game with people. You know, do a Bible quiz, a Bible grill. Uh, you ask the person the question, where in the Bible does it prove that Jesus ever actually ate any food? Because you'll notice, oddly, throughout the Gospels, it technically 
Now, it does by implication prove that he did, but technically, it actually technically does not say that Jesus actually ate food and drink, except for right here. It actually technically says Jesus ate the fish and honeycomb. It does not say anywhere else in the Gospels that Jesus actually ever ate anything. Think about it. It's interesting. So Jesus proves that it's the bodily resurrection. Not a spiritual or an energy thing, but actually a bodily resurrection. Alright, so that's important. Let's go back to Mark 16. Now, according to the Gospels, according to the rest of Scripture, we see that Jesus was with the disciples for... I think it's just a little bit over a month after the resurrection. He also appeared to 500 other disciples, 500 other brethren. So there was a mass revelation of the resurrection of Jesus where he showed himself to, to tons and tons and tons of people. Now, during this time, Jesus is finalizing his teachings with them. And on, on that day where you look at uh, the ending of uh, ending of John, ending of Luke, and then you go into Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 actually is a continuation of the Gospels because Acts chapter 1 discusses and shows the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus ascended up. Now, they, they're go this is now at that time. So Jesus is done teaching. And it is time for him to leave them. He takes them up into the hill. And he starts giving them the last instructions. Now, verse 15 of Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And Jesus says unto them, what? What does Jesus say to the disciples? What is the the most important thing, the point, the purpose, the goal, the whole reason why we are, why we Christians, why we born again Christians are here. What is the number one most important job of the saint? What is it? What is it? Jesus says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is it? Now, you want to talk about commandments. Now, this is something I always like to throw right into the face of all the works-based law-keeping Judaizer heretics. And they say, well, you have to keep the law. we got to keep the law and all of that. All right. got to keep the commandments. Got to keep the commandments. Okay. You do realize there's an awful lot more than just Ten Commandments, actually, right? You know there's over 600 and... Is it 630? There's over 630 different laws and commandments. So I find it interesting that you're cherry-picking which ones you want to keep. But did you know that uh, Mark 16, verse 15, actually is a commandment of God? It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. 
So if you want to keep the commandments, uh, Mark 16, 15 is a commandment because look at what it says. What's the specific wording? Go. That's that. That's a, a commanding word. That's a directional, commanding, affirmative word. Go. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that was just for the apostles there on the mount at, at the ascension. He was just talking to them. So, by that logic, John chapter 3 was only speaking to Nicodemus and is only ap applicable to Nicodemus and is not meant for us. You see, this is why when I teach apologetics and I teach this stuff and I, I walk you through these Bible studies, this is why, why, why I, I emphasize specific wordings and specific stuff to help you to, to learn how to listen to the way that other people talk. So you can, so you too can rip apart their nonsense, their illogic and show them their reasoning. Do you see that? Well, if this was only for them there on the mount, then John 3 was only for Nicodemus and it's not meant for me. I do not need to be born again. Only Nicodemus needed to be born again, right? Well, the Ten Commandments were only specifically given to the Jews there in, there in, in the Bible in Exodus 20. That was only for the Jews there. The Ten Commandments aren't meant for me then. See how stupid that is? This is stupid. So who is Jesus addressing actually in Mark 16, 15? Who is Jesus addressing? He's talking to the saints. This is meant for all saints. This is meant for all believers. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who? Every Christian, every man, woman, and child. Every man, woman, and child. Who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior should learn how to evangelize, should learn how to witness. You say, well, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. All right, you may not be a street preacher, but do you know how to give the gospel to a sinner who might be wondering what they must do to be saved? Do you know how to give the gospel? Well, I don't know if I can speak to strangers. So you will let people go to hell because you're too afraid to talk to a stranger? Well, I don't know how to witness. If you don't know how to witness, you don't know how to actually present the gospel to, to a stranger, how do you know that you're saved? Like, really? How do you know you are saved if you don't know how to give the gospel? Because aren't you just telling them what you must do, what you must believe to be saved? If you don't know how to how to actually specify what is, is necessary for salvation, you don't know how to explain it, how do you know you're saved? So you see, all, all, all excuses that people make to try to get out of witnessing 
is just nonsense. Doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Anyways, Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a commandment of God. Also, God commands all men everywhere to repent. So actually, uh, another commandment of God is you must be saved. God commands all men everywhere to, to repent. God commands all men everywhere to believe. So yeah. Now Jesus also says something interesting in, in verse 16. So Jesus is, is preaching to them. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See, see, water baptism is important for salvation. Um, I always find it interesting that these baptismal regenerationists never actually finish the verses. They never actually read the whole context of the scriptures. They never actually pay attention to what the Bible is actually saying. Because just pay attention to the wording. Look at what it says. If water baptism is a requirement for salvation, then why does it say he but he, he that believeth not shall be damned? Why does it say unbelief damns you? Why does it say unbaptism damns you? It says unbelief damns you, not unbaptism. But also, let's take a look. Shall be saved. Shall be saved. What? Saved from what? Saved from what? Well, hell. Why are you going to hell? Because I didn't believe. Why do you need to believe? Why are you not going to heaven in the first place? Why are you going to hell in the first place? Why do you need to believe? Saved from what? Redeemed from what? He died on the cross. Why? Shed his blood for what reason? Your sins. There you go. Saved from your sins. Our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have separated us from God. Our sins are condemning us to hell. Not just unbelief. Saved from unbelief. No, some people say, you don't need to repent from your sins. I don't know what Bible you're reading. But we see in the Bible, God commands all men everywhere to repent. From what? From their sins. Your sins have separated you. Your sins are condemning you. You're, you're dead in trespasses of unbelief. No, sins. So, we see in Acts 10, 43, believe on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved from your sins. Ephesians 1, 7, it, you're redeemed by the riches of his grace from what? Your sins. We see it's our sins. And we also see by Ephesians 1, 7, Ephesians 1, 1, 13, in Acts 10, 43, we see that salvation comes by belief alone, by grace alone, in the name of Jesus alone. Right? So where does baptism come into this? It's the first step of active obedience of the saint. It's the first thing you do after you're saved. After you believe and you're born again saved, you will want to be baptized. You will want to follow the scriptures. You will want to follow the Lord Jesus and the examples that he left us. If you don't want to be baptized, uh, that's a bit of a problem. It's a problem with your heart. And I would question your salvation if you don't want to be baptized. You see? See, so he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Right? But he that believeth not shall be damned. It's unbelief damns you. 
because you you have not sought the the Lord Jesus for salvation from your sins, so your sins have dragged you down to hell. All right. Me that believe not shall be damned. Now I have a whole other giant study on refuting baptism of regeneration the heretical teaching that water baptism is a requirement for your salvation that's utter nonsense if anyone ever says that teaches that or implies that they don't know what they're talking about and they're preaching a false gospel baptism is not a requirement for salvation but it is very important it is very important it's the first step of active obedience of the saints jesus also continues to to say something here in verse 17 and these signs shall follow them that believe. These evidences, manifestations, these things will produce from those that believe. Now, this is a this is a bit of a deep one because we do see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 to 10 that after a while we see in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 to 10 we see uh, where the Lord speaking through Paul it shows that there are certain signs, certain evidences that are gone. Certain mir miracles, spiritual gifts are gone. When? When the word of God is finally fully completed. What things are gone and, and are, are no longer a part of us? Prophets? Prophesying new revelations? And tongues? Those three are the only three things that, that are done away with when the word of God is finally completed. It's what it flat out says. And I have an entire study walking through that and proving that from the Bible. All right? If you want to see that, let me know. I'll show you that one. But here we see at the beginning, the very beginning of the church age, we see him, uh, Jesus saying, verse 17, Mark 16, verse 17, he that... Uh, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. I'll speak about that in a moment. They shall speak with new tongues. That is evidenced in Acts chapter 2. When the apostles, the Spirit of God came upon them and they spoke in tongues. Now what, what, were, what were they saying? Yabba dabba 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 do. Were they talking like the Flintstones? Were they just making weird random noises and talking like a toddler? How were they talking? You will notice in Acts chapter 2, when the apostles are standing up and preaching to the crowd, the people from the crowd started saying, How hear we them hear them speak in our tongues? The wonderful works of God. What, what are our tongues? Of the Parthians and the Medes and the Alamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and everywhere else. These, the, that tongue speaking was an early church spiritual gift for quick proliferation of the gospel to other languages of earth. It was the spiritual gift of the early church missionary. That's what tongues is. Tongues is not glossolalia, mystic, ecstatic noise making that makes no sense. The Bible says if you're speaking in tongues, you will also understand what you are saying. And it's a language of earth. The Bible flat out says tongues is languages of earth. Not mystic, ecstatic, angels, spiritual, weird language, noise making. It's actually languages of earth. That's what the Bible says. So 
But he says, in my name, in my name, verse 17. Look what it says. Look what it says. In my name. So not in the name of Michael. Not in the name of Mary and other saints and other angels and whatever. In my name. Because we, we just established, we just established who is Jesus? Who is he? Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. So in my name, not my name, not my power, not my ability, not yours, not anyone else's, not, not by popes, priests, and kings, not by any other thing, not by any other name that is named. For there's only one name that is above all names. In my name shall they cast out devils. Now, how, how, does, how does that work? In the name of Jesus Christ, be silent and depart. That's simple. As we see... Uh, Paul the Apostle was uh, walking in this one city and he's going about and witnessing and there is this girl with the spirit of divination. That's witchcraft. Divination is witchcraft. That's tarot cards, Ouija boards, tea leaf readings, all of that kind of stuff. That's witchcraft. That's by demonic powers. She was demonically possessed by spirits that gave her the abilities of divination. A girl with the spirit of divination was following them. And she was, these men are sent from God. And now she's saying the truth here, but in what spirit manner? She's being disruptive, uncontrollable. She was, she was being a bit of a distraction and a hindrance to the work. So what did Paul do? And Paul grieved in himself, turned, full of the Holy Ghost, said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be silent and come out of her. And it did. Did he have to go over and grab her by the face and interrogate the demon and shake her and scream, come out now, 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 come out of her now, like they see the charismatics doing all the time in their stupid false deliverance ministries? No, it's very simple. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be silent and depart. Because it's in the power, the name, the spirit, the blood, and the person of the Lord God, Jesus Christ. He goes before me. I am his servant. And I'm speaking in his name. And by the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you to be silent and depart. It's that simple. That's how it shows. In my name. Not in rituals, not in oil, water, interrogations, or pounding them over the head with a Bible. <laughs> Like I've seen in some deliverance ministries, not by any other thing or any other name or any other power, or any other ritual. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply, simply. It's simple. It's simple. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be silent. Remove your hands. Get out. Just like that. Spirits now manifesting themselves. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be silent and depart. It's as simple as that. It's just, what does the scripture say? In, in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, not Flintstones, languages of earth. Verse 18, they shall take up serpents. What you say in there, Jesus? What do you mean by that one? You shall take up serpents. 
well, this actually has a little bit of a dual meaning in uh, in the handling of in and when these kinds of things arise. Uh, now, the serpents is also an application to demonic powers, being able to deal with, being able to handle, deal with the demonic. Also, in a physical sense, that uh, as this was given to the apostles, and also we see aspects here with missionaries too in third world places and other places around the world. There, there are uh, things like this where they've fallen in an accident where they were bitten or attacked by something and the Lord miraculously delivered them. That's what he means by this. The protection of the Lord upon you in, in emergency states. They take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now, again, as they're going about in the world and people that may try to harm you, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. That's just what that means. Now, yeah, there are the crazy pathological uh, snake dancing churches uh, in down in the southern states. There's these crazy people. They go around and they gather up rattlesnakes and vipers. And they put them in buckets and they bring them to their church and they they throw themselves into like a trance dance thing and they <laughs> grab handfuls of rattlesnakes and they start dancing around the church with rattlesnakes and say that these they can't hurt me they can't hurt me because i believe in jesus that that's that that that's that's not what it's talking about um what you are doing there is you are basically Casting yourself off the pinnacle of the temple, just like Satan tempted Jesus to do. You do know that God gave you a brain, right? This is the same logic of standing on the road in front of a Mack truck that's doing a, doing 120. Say, it can't harm me because I believe in Jesus. You are tempting the, the devil and you are tempting God. You're completely abusing the faith and you have no understanding of what you're doing. God gave you a brain and part of our brain process is logic. <laughs> These snake dancing people have no idea what they're doing. They have they don't understand the scriptures. They're completely just deluded. All right. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now, this is in the same category of what happened to the apostle Paul. After he got shipwrecked, you know the story when they when they got shipwrecked in the Isle of Melita, and uh, and they're with the natives there and they're trying to warm themselves after the whole shipwreck and the storm. And Paul goes and gathers up a bunch of sticks, and he throws the sticks in the fire. And there and just as he puts the sticks in the fire, a viper comes out of the bundle of sticks. A snake had worked its way into the bundle of sticks. You know, snakes like to like to be in. Uh, under rocks and in logs and in piles of brush like that and sticks uh, they use it as like a little hide a cave and a place a place to be and I, paul just not knowing grabbed this snake along with the sticks and went over and threw them in the fire and the snake ju jumped out and latched onto his hand and he shook it off into the fire and nothing happened now, this was a viper. Now, these vipers are exceptionally dangerous, very deadly. And the people that saw this, they're waiting for him to just drop dead. Because they know that these snakes will kill you. 
If they bite you, you die. So they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and nothing's happening. He's perfectly fine. There's no swelling, no damage, nothing. As Jesus says, uh, the serpents will not harm you. Does this mean that you should go out and find a snake and make it bite you to prove a point? No, you will die. Because you're abusing this. That's not the application of this. That's not what this is saying. Anyways, verse 18. They should take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, by whose power they lay hands? Does that mean that the apostles themselves had, had that God that God had given the apostles specific individual power, that God gave them supernatural abilities that the apostles themselves personally individually had supernatural powers now that they could heal they could do these things is that what that means no no peter and john went to the temple to pray and there's this lame man and he is asking alms and he asked them for an alms and peter says silver and gold have i none but such as I have, give I thee. I do not have personal innate powers or abilities. But I do have something, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the Lord Jesus Christ. I have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that lives in me. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter or Paul or John did not heal the people. God healed the people through them. They're instruments of God's glory, instruments of God's work. God uses them and then works through them, speaks through them. If they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. That's what it says. Now, now, how does that work? How, they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. That's James uh, chapter 5. Is that James? I think it's James chapter 5. Yes, James 5, 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Not the oil. See, people look at healing oil, blessed oil, holy oil. You do realize that objects and things in and of themselves do not have power? Do not have power? Objects and things do not have power. Uh, there's no such thing as a mystically enchanted oil. That's called witchcraft. There's no such thing as mystically enchanted magic water. That's witchcraft. There's no such thing as a mystically enchanted cross or crucifix like, like Catholics have. Objects and things do not have abilities or power. What was the point of they lay hands on him, anointing him with oil? What was the point of the anointing with oil then? It's symbolic. The oil is symbolic. 
because you see throughout scripture oil the, the the oil that is used in prayer like how they would anoint prophets they would anoint kings they anoint the individuals they're praying over is symbolic in the anointing the, it represents the oil of, uh, as the holy spirit coming upon them and blessing them and helping them in whatever the need may be it's a representation of the blessing of the spirit of god upon the person just as water baptism is symbolic it in it's symbolic in salvation as oil is symbolic in prayer you don't need the oil you don't have to have the oil you don't have to use the oil you can use it if you want but you have to understand its proper placement okay all right let's go back mark chapter 16. now before i continue here there's one more thing i wanted to point out regarding the resurrection of jesus christ there's so much he's showing them and demonstrating and illustrating. But you know, there, there are some other things that are very um, subtle that a lot of people don't catch right off the bat. Um, so go to John chapter 20. Please go to John chapter 20. I want to show you something uh, uh, that I'd be willing to bet you have never heard of this except if you've heard me tell the resurrection story before and then you may have heard me talk about this if you have heard of this you know where i'm going with this please don't say anything uh for those that have may have not heard this before now we see in john chapter 20 okay john chapter 20 verse 1 john chapter 20 verse 1 i absolutely love this this bit here on the resurrection story because this is really interesting so john chapter 20 verse 1 the first day of the week cometh mary magdalene uh, 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 came early yet dark the sepulcher sees a stone taken away verse 2 then she runneth and cometh to simon peter and to the other disciple whom jesus loved that's john john always refers to himself in the third person <laughs> uh, to simon peter and the other disciple whom jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Verse 3. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. I love verse 4. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. <laughs> John, John has written in Scripture, God has allowed it, John is teasing Peter for all eternity. I beat you. <laughs> I beat you to the tomb. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. Now look at verse 5. And, and stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. But John got to the tomb first, but he didn't go in. Now, impulsive Peter, impulsive Peter, kind of like a bull, just does his own thing, takes his sword and swings it at the at that servant, cuts his ear off. He, and he's just very impulsive. He's very bold. He's very strong. Now, how do you know he's strong? He grabbed a, an entire net full of fish, so overflowing it was nearly bursting. He dragged it up on the beach by himself. He's very strong. When you're a big, strong guy, you don't really run that fast. Anyways, so John beats him to the tomb, doesn't go in. 
Peter, then cometh Peter falling and just went right on in to, into the sepulcher. And he saw the linen clothes lying. Verse 7. So John chapter 20, verse 7. Look at the words. Take your Bible. Look at the words. Now, remember when I talked about the, the Jewish custom of burial? As a, that they would take the body and similar to like the, how they would wrap a mummy in Egypt. They did. They didn't do mummification. Jews did not do mummification, but they wrapped it very similarly. They would take the grave clothes, which are strips of linen, long strips of linen. They put the feet together and then they put the arms across and they wind wrap the body up. They wrap the body up, which also proves that Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead out of the tomb, Lazarus didn't come walking out. He didn't come hopping out. <laughs> you can't move because you're completely wrapped up. How did Lazarus come out of the tomb? He floated. He floated out of the tomb. But look at this. So what they would do is they'd wrap the body up, completely wrap it up, and then they wrap the head separately with a napkin. Uh, a single cloth, a lar large piece, that they would wrap the head with, a, with a, a separate piece of linen. They saw the linen clothes lying there and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So all of the, the straps and st the strips of linen that were used to wrap the body were over here. And the head cloth was over here, wrapped up itself. Now, what does that mean? Folded. It was folded. Why? What's that about? Well, Jesus was leaving them a message. Because according to Jewish custom, when you're sitting at a table and you're eating, when you are done your food, when you're all done eating, you take your napkin and you wipe your face and your hands and you you ball it up and throw it down. That means that means to the servants, I'm done. But if you are not done eating and you have to leave the table for a minute and, and to let the servants know you're coming back, you would take your napkin, fold it up and lay it on your plate. That means I'm not done yet. I'm coming back. Jesus takes the napkin, folds it up, sets it aside because Peter and John would know exactly what that means. That he's, Jesus is saying to them, I'm not done. I'm coming back. Every single bit of scripture is important. This is why you should study your Bibles. Why the napkin? What does it mean folded up? What's the purpose? All these things are so important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. All the things that he says, all the things that he has done, every little minute thing that you would think is not a big deal, like a napkin, is so important, has so much meaning. Do you see that? amazing so all these things that the lord does for them he shows them his patience his grace his teaching his teaching and opening their eyes and they see and they understand 
and they see that he truly is, as Thomas declared, Lord God. He is the Lord God. He's not an angel. He's not some prophet. He's not just some holy man. He is God. He is God. He's not less than God. He's not a part of God. He is God. He is God. Jesus is God. He's not a part of God. He is God. So he shows them. He knows all things. He sees all things. Jesus knew that Peter and John were coming. He knew. How did he know? Because he's God. He sees all things. And in his infinite grace and mercy and kindness, because he knew that they would be, they'd be distraught by this. He leaves them a message. I'm not done. I'm coming back. And he did. Just like he said he would. He appeared before them and he revealed himself. He proved himself by many infallible proofs. Verse 19, Mark 16, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he finished talking. After he had finished speaking to them, he looks upon them. And he starts to lift. He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now, you said Jesus God. Then why is he sitting on the right hand of God? The body. The body. The body he prepared for himself. The, the way of salvation, the name above all names, the way, the truth, the life, that it's through this work that God did through the body of Jesus, through the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. It's through him that it's permanently seated this way, this truth, this life, as I have done, the Lord says. I made the way, and this is my body that I prepared. I went to the cross for you. I shed my blood for the church. It's through this, this, my son, that I made for myself that's seated ever beside me for all eternity the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world this is seated beside me he is seated beside me jesus is seated beside me and it's all you can only get to me through him jesus is god's body jesus is not a separate part of god jesus is god's body and he sat on the right hand of God. Now, there's a bit of bit of time between verse 19 and 20. All right. Let's go over to Acts chapter 1. There's a little bit more in Acts chapter 1. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1, and we want to go... Let's start at verse 1. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Look at this. Proof of the resurrection. After, after his passion, 
after Jesus' own personal desire of his own way, of, in ways that he himself chose of himself, after his passion, by many infallible proofs. That means you can't deny it. You can't deny it. Now, what was one of the... <laughs> what is one of the infallible proofs? Do you remember when I spoke about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Mark 15? Uh, I mentioned about the, the graves of the dead saints. And how, according to the scriptures, that on resurrection day, when Jesus rose from the dead, these ones also came back to life and went back into the city and spoke of Jesus. That's one of the problems. You can't really deny someone coming back from the dead. Could you imagine, let's say, I don't know, your brother, sister, mom, dad, uncle, grandpa, whatever, just happened, just all of a sudden, just come out of his grave, out of their grave, and come back to meet you, and they're perfectly fine. They're perfectly fine, and they're preaching Jesus. They're preaching the word of God, and they're preaching Jesus. Now, uh, you kind of can't deny that. You can't, oh, no, that's not happening. <laughs> it's happening. That's an infallible proof. Being seen of them 40 days. Oh, there it is. Jesus is with them after the resurrection, but uh, from, in, from the time of the resurrection to the time of the ascension was 40 days. So he was with them for 40 days. He can kind of do a lot in 40 days. He was with them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from, from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know, this is as they're walking up to the hill of ascension, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And a cloud received him out of the sight. Now, why is that significant? What does the Bible say how Jesus will come again? In the clouds. He will come back as he was taken. He went up into the cloud and he will come back in clouds. You hear people talk about that, 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 that. Uh, that, that cloudless day, like that one hymn and that wonderful uh, cloudless day. It's not going to be cloudless. He's coming back in clouds. It's going to be very cloudy. It'll be very cloudy on that resurrection morning when we were taken up. All right. And he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked, step, so Jesus is taken up right in front of them. He's taken up and we see he's gone and they're all standing there trying to get one less glimpse one less look and they're all staring up into the clouds and they and they're trying to see jesus he's jesus is gone and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up <laughs> behold two men stood by them in white apparel two angels 
which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? I, just the kind of the humor. Why, why are you just standing around gazing up at the sky? Why, why are you stand ye gazing up into heaven? This, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. And as we see in the scriptures, on, on that day where, where Jesus comes back, he comes back in the clouds. And also, that's the second, that's the second coming. There's a difference in the second coming and the second arrival. All right, you need to understand the differences. Uh, the second coming is Jesus comes in the clouds and we are taken up in the rapture. We're taken up to meet him in the clouds. But then there's also the second arrival. Jesus came to earth once and he's going to come back to earth a second time. That's when he comes back to reign for the thousand years. But he'll come back on the same mount that he ascended up. He'll come back on the same mount and his feet will touch the mount. It'll split in half and he'll walk into Jerusalem and he reigns for the thousand years. So they, so the disciples are reminded by the angels, go back to Jerusalem and wait like the Lord had said, and they go back and wait. And then on that one morning, as they're praying, the spirit of the Lord comes upon them like tongues of fire. And they, and they are that now this is the ceiling. Now, before this point, now this is important. This is the gift of the Holy Ghost. As Jesus says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? That is the sealing of the Spirit of God permanently. Because previously, as we see in the old dispensation, that's the era that was different, that was before, where the Spirit of God would come upon an individual for a while and then go back. Where This is why David says, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Where the Spirit of God would come upon a prophet show them things, they would prophesy, and then, this, then the Spirit of God would, would leave them again. Now, the gift of the Holy Ghost is that the Spirit of God would come upon you and never leave. Jesus uh, breathed on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost, which they did for that period for a while. Then the Spirit of God would leave them. But here we see the gift of the Holy Ghost, the dispensation of the sealing of the Holy Spirit occurred at Pentecost. Where they came upon them and sealed them. And never leaves. Now this is Ephesians 4.30, the sealing of the Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. This is a day go be with the Lord, whether in death or second coming of Christ. He who seals you and never leaves. Alright? So that's what happened there. So that, that, what I'm just talking about there is verse 20 of Mark 16. Mark 16, 20. And just as the Lord says to go into all the world, preach the gospel. What did they do? Verse 20, verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Just like the Lord said to do. And they preached everywhere. Now look what it says. They preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, as he says, I will always be with you. I'll teach you all things, help you in all things, teach you how to pray and all, all the rest of it. The Lord works with you. Now, how does he work with you? How does the spirit of the Lord work with preachers, evangelists, missionaries, all this kind of thing? How does the Lord work with them? Confirming the word with signs following. Proving it. How does he prove it? Peter and John. 
for example. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The Lord then honored what they said, honored their faithfulness, honored their belief, honored their, their preaching of Jesus to magnify and glorify Jesus Christ. The Lord, the Lord proved the truth of Peter and John by healing the crippled man, just like Peter had asked. In the name of the Lord Jesus, rise up and walk. The Lord then caused the men to be healed. The Lord worked with them, confirming the word, proving the word, proving it with signs following. The proof of salvation is the power of the faith. When you go forth preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, things happen. Sinners get saved. Prayers are answered. The sick are healed. Those in need are provided, just like the Lord said he would. Just like he said he would come back. He would come back to life. And he did. And the Lord says he's going to come back again. And he will. The proof of the resurrection is the proof of the person of Jesus Christ. Because anybody can be beaten up. Anybody can be horribly, horribly tortured and beaten and, and abused. Anybody can. Anybody can be nailed to a cross. Anybody can have a crown of thorns jammed on their head and can be speared in their side. That can happen to anybody. Anybody can die and be buried. But there's only one who can bring himself back from the dead. Even the Egyptian gods and all of the lore of the Egyptian gods, none of them could raise themselves from the dead. They were all mortal gods. Well, how are they gods if they're mortal? They all die and cease to exist. The same as the Norse gods, so-called Odin and Thor, just false gods. But what happens to them in Ragnarok? They are killed and cease to exist. They have no power over life and death. The Egyptian gods have no power over life and death. The Roman, the Greek gods have no power over life and death. For there's only one. There's only one. There's only one who has power for life and death, who has power to forgive sins, who has power to save souls, who has power to answer prayers, and keeps his word, never lies, is not corrupted. He, he cannot lie. He, he gives not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the saints. He is the living God, the only true God, the only, the only eternal life, the only way, truth, and life, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. And he, was, he suffered and bled and died he was buried and rose again to life just like he said he would because he is the true god and eternal life there is none other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the lord jesus christ he is god and there is none else that's who he is he is our lord he is our savior he's our king of kings he's the risen lord he's the risen lord for there are many others that call themselves gods. There are many that call themselves lords. But he is the risen Lord. He's the only God who has power over life and death. I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. What does that prove? All hail. All hail. King Jesus. Gospel of Mark. And all of God's people said, 
Amen. So there you go. That's the Gospel of Mark. And in this, we see from Mark's view, his angle, as all the others, you got you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is their writing of the life of Christ from their angles, their observations. And the beauty of the Lord is that he allowed them to write in their, their, their form, their passion. We see individual character, personality coming out in the writings. You say, well, because each gospel is different, that's a contradiction. No, you will not see any of the gospels contradict any of the others. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, writing of the life of Christ from different angles, writing of certain things that stuck out to them personally. There's so much of the life of Jesus that was not written. As I said, if, if it was all written, the world could not contain the books of it. Of all of the miracles, all of the teaching, all the things that he did, it was so much the world could not contain the books of it. But these are written. But these things, these are written. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing you might have life through his name. This is sufficient. I don't need more there are no lost books lost texts lost manuscripts there's no lost years of jesus there's none of that there's no other thing this is sufficient this is all you need you don't need more if this is not enough to convince you then you don't believe in the christ of scripture you don't believe these things if this is not enough for you if this is not sufficient for you then you do not believe you're yet in your sins and you have not the spirit of god working on you to convict you you're looking for something else some other thing a different jesus other than what the bible talks about this is sufficient you don't need anything else because what this proves is his deity this proves his deity and if this is not enough to prove it to you you got a problem you got a serious serious problem but this is sufficient this is all you need the cross is empty it's not a work of atonement. It's not a working at repentance, working to earn. The cross is empty. It's not a crucifix. It's an empty cross. The crucifix shows a continual work. He has to continue to work at atonement, continue to work at, yeah, because you earn your salvation. That's nonsense. It's by grace through faith. The cross is empty because he is risen. He's alive. It's done. It is finished. All you must do is believe, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. It's right in front of you. Just as he said, it's by grace, the unmerited favor of God through faith believing trust for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us not by but by the works of the law by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified but by the faith of Jesus Christ it's by belief alone by grace alone through faith alone because it is done we bring nothing to the table of our salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. He did it. It is done. His atonement is complete. He, he purchased the way of salvation for the whole world. And it's not limited. This is the whole world. World is meaning everyone in earth. He made a way because he is not willing that any should perish, 
that God calls all men everywhere to repent. He want he wants all to be to be saved. He made the way so that anyone can be. Then he goes forth by his spirit to convict of sins. He calls and draws and he shows and he illuminates. He enlightens the mind and he gives you a chance. All are given a chance. You see it, you hear it, these things speak, and you do know that he is the true one. He is the just one. He is the only way. He is the living way. He is the water of life, the bread of life, the light of life, the living truth. Drink of this water. You shall never thirst again. The spirit of God will be upon you, and you will be complete. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be redeemed by his spirit, by the riches of his grace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For all that call upon the Lord shall be saved. The Lord God, Jesus Christ. So which Jesus are you believing in today? Who is he? What is he? If he is not the Jesus of the Bible, then you're believing in a false Christ. Just as Jesus said, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. False Christ, false apostles, deceitful workers, preaching damnable heresies to deceive people into hell. There's only one Jesus, that is the Lord God, Jesus Christ, who does not need your help to save you. He does not need you to maintain, to keep, to do, or earn to gain anything for your salvation. He only needs you to believe. Because salvation cannot be lost, taken away, or recanted. Because it is not by works. It's not by righteous works. It's not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's by believing trust in the Lord God, Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God says. And if you don't believe that, you are not saved. You will hear, name not found written. You will scream, Lord, Lord. Because just like the rest, many shall, shall, in that day shall, be, shall cry, Lord, Lord. Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not prophesied in thy name? And say, but I don't know you. Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire and torment, for I do not know you. Look at what they were crying. Have I not done? Have I not done? Have I not done? They're trusting in their righteous works, their religiosity to, to save them. But it's not by works. It's by faith alone. It's by grace, unmerited favor of God, by believing trust are you saved. And not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. So boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Your time here on earth is uncertain. You do not even know if you're going to get the next five minutes. You don't know if you're going to get the next day. You have no idea how long you're going to be alive. Do not roll the dice. Do not gamble your eternal soul. Let today be the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord right where you are, right here, right now. Repent and believe the gospel. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and save your soul. Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my God and Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and save me. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you call upon the Lord and you confess his name. You, you introduce yourself to him. You make it personal. And you tell him. You call upon him. You believe. And you are saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Look at the place where they laid him. It's empty. Because it's done. Look at the cross. It's empty because it's done. He did all the work. He did all the work. He did everything that is needed 
it is finished. The atonement is finalized. The work is done. And he stands before you now with those nail-scarred hands. And he holds out these hands, the gift of God. It's not a reward. It's a gift. The gift of God, the free gift. He holds it out. He says, will you take it? Will you believe? Look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look at my side. What I have done for you. I did this for you. Because I so love the world. The sole love of God is the self-sacrificing love of God. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man will lay down his life for his friends. And that's what God did for us, because he so loved us. The so, so lo uh, love of God is the self-sacrificing love of God. God purchased the church with his own blood. And he gave himself because he loves you. He does not want you to die in your sins. He wants you to believe. He wants you to be saved. He did all the everything that's needed. All you got to do is believe. Believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, for salvation from your sins. As Ephesians shows it, in Ephesians 1, you are chained up. In the picture in Ephesians 1, 7, that we are, we are, uh, the language here is like a prison market, a prisoner market, slave market. You're all chained up in sin, like Isaac on the altar, tied up, can't do anything. The sword of the wrath of God is about to plunge. But the ram caught in the thicket by its horns, the, the, the riches of his grace, he gave himself in your place. Isaac could do nothing. You can do nothing. You're chained up, tied up. There's nothing you can do but believe, accept. All you can do is accept. That's what the Lord says. Accept Jesus Christ and be saved. But there's nothing that you can do other than what he has already done. What could you possibly bring to the table? What could you possibly do, say, gain, that, that would be greater or equal to what he has already done for you? His righteousness, his atonement, his work. You are a sinner, dead in trespasses of sins. What could you possibly do when the Bible says, in us, in no goodness. For there's none that doeth good, no, not one. All are fallen away, all have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. What could you possibly do? What could you possibly bring to Jesus Christ equal to what he has done? But he did this for you out of pure grace and mercy. He did it all. The wages of sin is death. He died. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He shed his blood. And he proved that he could give everlasting life by raising himself from the dead. And he says, I will give you everlasting life. You believe on me. John 3, 16. But if you do not believe, you're condemned already. John 3, 18. But, but we see in Romans 8, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Believe on the Lord and the wrath of God is removed. Your sins are forgiven by the riches of his grace. There's now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And he will forgive your sins. And though your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. That's what the Lord says. His promise. It doesn't matter what you've done. All sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men. And blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. All will be forgiven. As we see Saul on the road to Damascus, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, blaspheming Jesus Christ, met the Lord, saved. Born again, saved. He got saved. If the Lord can save Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, he can certainly forgive you. you say, well, I've sold my soul to the devil. Ezekiel 18.4, God owns all the souls. You can't sell what you don't own. The devils can't own what God already owns. 
Nobody is beyond the grace of God. You cannot be worse. Your sins cannot be more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody is beyond the grace of God. Nobody. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 1 John 5, 13, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know for sure, absolutely, I am born again saved. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And when I die, I'm going to open my eyes in the presence of God. And I'm going to see the smile of God. I am going to hear name found written. I'm going to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's the case because why? I have believed there's no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus. Those that have believed are saved. But those that have not believed are condemned already. This is what the Lord says. He says, I am God. I save. I give everlasting life. I have done all the work. It is finished. I will rise again. And he did. I will, will, will be put to death for the sins of the world, as the prophet Isaiah even said in Isaiah 53. And he fulfilled it all by many infallible proofs, proves it all. And he says, now it's up to you. Whom say ye that I am? Will ye believe? Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? If this convicts you, if you want to be saved, then right where you are, tell him. Tell him. Just tell him. Call upon him. Tell him you believe. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you. And he will. He said he would. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it says. Amen. All right, there you go. Now I'm out of breath. <laughs> All right, so there you go, folks. That's Mark chapter 16. Wrapped it up with the gospel message there as well as the message of, of invitation. And so please uh, consider these things. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be in the presence of God? It, it, there's life ends in many surprising ways you have no idea when your time is coming you have no idea what's going to happen to you but when your time comes are you going to hear name found written are you going to hear name not found written are you going to open your eyes in paradise in the presence of god or like the rich man the moment you die you're going to open your eyes in flame and torment and you're going to join him in screaming for a drop of water Awaiting that day of judgment at the great white throne. This is serious, folks. This is serious. This is not something to take lightly. It's very serious. Your 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 eternity depends on this. You're going to be longer in heaven or hell than you've been alive here. Give that some thought. Make sure of thyself. So with that, all right, are there any questions that I missed here? Let's go down through. Oh my goodness. Look at the, look at the comments. All right. Let's see. I got to pick somewhere to start here. Uh, 
Okay. Oh, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Sunny Day says, yes, an energy vibration doesn't do this. The false spirituality says God is everywhere in the earth, the rocks. Yeah, no. Yeah, they don't understand what he's talking about. Jesus is a person. He's very real, very alive. Okay, going down through. Okay. Pierre says, I wish y'all could hear my son's laughter when Matt makes faces. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Okay, going down through. Yeah, I try to be lively. I like being lively. Very, I like to be animated. Uh, it's an exciting thing. It's real. Get into it. Get into it. Live it. Love it. And uh, yeah, take it seriously. And uh, yeah, why not? And of course, sarcasm against false teaching. Sarcasm against the false gospels. Because they're nonsense. Just like Elijah Mount Carmel. Mocking the false gods. Okay, let's go down through. Okay, going down through comments here. Seeing if there's anything else. Okay, Sunny Day says, Notice how many people in the world focus on the commandment, love thy neighbor. But they skip the most important one, you shall love the Lord thy God. Exactly. Exactly. Very good observation. Excellent. Uh, okay. Or the Christians on YouTube who teach prepping and hiding during the tribulation. We're not going to be here. During the, uh, during the wrath of God, we're not going to be here. We are taken out before the wrath of God. So, yeah, those people don't know what they're talking about. Okay. Sunny Days has a question. How are non-believers able to use Jesus' name to cast out demons? They don't. I thought only Holy Spirit and dwelled were able through Christ, of course. Yeah, you're right. No, they can't. They don't. Um, now, what happens, like, for example, with, let's say, a Roman Catholic priest doing the Roman Catholic rite of exorcism, where he calls on Mary and angels and saints and everything else and splashes them with water and oil and lights incense and <laughs> all that garbage nonsense. It's actually occultic what they're doing. Then um, in, in the name of Jesus and Mary and everything else, and they go through the rite of exorcism and the devil is removed. Or so you think. No, they don't remove the devils. They don't cast out devils. The devils just go silent to give the appearance that they're gone, to give you the belief that your religion is right. It's all a, it's all a deception. Sometimes even they, 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 will, they will leave just a bit to give you the impression, that, but they'll come back. <clears throat> You'll notice that those individuals, they, they have to do constant, constant, constant exorcism, re-exorcisms, re-exorcisms, uh, because they keep having the problem. It's never just an immediate deliverance. There's no hope. There's no actual uh, true power. Uh, and they have to labor and labor and labor and labor and go through long, long exorcisms and constant pleas and everything else that they have to do. And it's, it's a long process and it's never truly, fully complete. Yeah, it, it's because it's, there is no power. Their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. You got to remember that. Their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, going down through the comments.
Okay, Kirk says, by the love of Jesus Christ, we can approach total strangers safely with one another. We can hand out ice cream cones or scriptures on the cone paper. Hey, you can do that. Like, what are other ways? You like, take uh, a good uh, exercise for your kids. You might like this one purely. Is uh, get some sidewalk chalk. Go out, go out and have your kids write down Bible verses, write down gospel passages on the sidewalk with sidewalk chalk. Why not? See anything, things like that. Uh, or bottle while the scriptures wrapped around. You could totally do that and share out your testament. Yeah. Use your imagination. How can you get the gospel out there? What other means, ways, kites, <laughs> blimps, uh, uh, e- email, uh, regular mail, paper mail. You can sidewalk chalk. You can do all that. Write message. Like, how, what are ways you can get the gospel out there? Do it. Why wouldn't you? All right. Um. Okay, Force Recon says, are you supposed to lay hands on people when you pray for them? I was told you don't because spirits can jump from person to person. All right. Uh, My question is, what kind of people, what religion, denomination, belief system are those people that say you shouldn't because spirits can jump around? yeah no that's not really how it fully works and especially for christians um that doesn't happen to us now that's also but also it's it's why the bible says lay hands suddenly on no man is you should be aware of what's going on and if the person is not accepting of the gospel leave them that's what it means by that don't just go around laying hands on everybody because you don't know what's going on yeah like uh, you shouldn't go around casting devils out of everybody because well you don't know how they got in that state in the first place if they're not repentant you're literally going to make it worse and the spirit has gone out of a man he goes about in dry places seeks rest finds none and says i'll return for, uh, to my house from whence i came and he returns and he brings seven others more wicked than himself and the end thereof is worse than it was before so you're going to make it worse so that's why I lay hands suddenly on no man but rather you should know what's going on if the person is accepting of the gospel and the message then yeah lay hands because the spirit of god is greater greater he's greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world so yeah the bible talks about laying of hands so why wouldn't you because it's awkward and we don't like touching people but that's what the bible says so yeah all right uh force recon says when a person joins a church and the pastor reads two passages from the bible and then asks you if you believe what they read are they saved i'm sorry i don't understand when a, did I say pastor? When a person joins a church, sorry. When a person joins a church and the pastor reads two passages from the Bible, then asks you if you believe what they read, are they saved? No. Uh, they're saved if they specifically believe the gospel according to Scripture. They're saved if they've called upon the Lord and asked him to save them from their sins according to the specific gospel that is according to scripture. That's how they're saved. Um, because of the, the, uh, they could hear the scripture and understand it. That doesn't mean they're saved. That means they have enlightenment. 
Hebrews 6.46, the Spirit of God comes upon the unsaved person and gives them the understanding, that a temporary understanding of the Scripture so they could see how they're a sinner, see the cross and see their salvation, see all of this and what they need to do to be saved. They understand that. That proves that the Spirit of God is working on them. They're only saved if they call upon the Lord for salvation. Okay, Force says... I live in the voodoo capital of the South and people are not getting out of this kind of teaching. I'm sorry if I'm asking so many questions. No, please go ahead. But I have to know the truth so I can give them Jesus. Yeah, so you're probably down in New Orleans, right? Yeah, you'd be in New Orleans, the voodoo capital. Okay. Um, yeah, so again, it's gr- the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater than all forms of voodoo. And people hear voodoo and they, and they have a deeper fear of it than anything else. Voodoo is just witchery. It's just occult. It's no different than any other form of occult. And occult is just another false religion. These people need to be saved. Jesus Christ, his power, the scriptures, his spirit is greater, more powerful than any voodoo, any witchcraft, anything that the occult could bring. Don't even worry about them. Bring them the gospel of Christ. Show show them the truth of this. And show them how how they must be saved. The spirit of the Lord is greater, more powerful than anything they could ever conjure or bring or do. Their spells are dust in the wind. Their spells are dust. They're nothing. Their craft is dust. It's no, That's all it is. It's just dust in the wind. It's nothing to us. The Lord is greater. His power is greater. His spirit is greater. His word is greater. And we go in his name, in my name, Jesus says. So we go in the name of Jesus Christ. We fear nothing. Fear nothing. Fear not, worry not, doubt not, care not, fret not. Because the Lord is greater. Fear nothing. We only fear the Lord and holy reverential worship and respect. That's the only fear we have. We fear nothing of earth. We fear nothing of men. We only have the fear of God. So yeah. Okay, uh, going down through. Okay, that seems to be it. All right, this is awesome. This has been great. All right, folks, so with that, we're going to wrap that up there. Thank you so much for joining in. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe so you know when uh, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos we have tons and tons of other content tons of other goodies so please make sure you check those out we have different playlists and topics on all kinds of stuff make sure you avail yourself to that as well as checking out our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all our other platforms and a bunch of goodies as well as free downloadable gospel tracks we have a, a set PDF there of the Gospels. You can print, you can download that, and then you print them off, and it's free. No catch, nothing like that. It's completely free. All you got to do is provide the paper yourself. Print them off, and you keep it as long as you want. Hand around the PDF to other Christians. They get free tracks, too. And get the Gospel of Jesus Christ out there. It's, a, it's so easy, a Christian can do it. Man, woman, or child. It's so easy a Christian can do it. So get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. Get busy. It's a commandment of God. Now don't follow it because you have to. Follow it because you want to. Follow it because you want to. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love Jesus, tell others about him. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. So if you love Jesus Christ, tell others about him. Get the gospel out there. It, it find ways to get it out there use your imagination use your imagination how can i show others tell others let others know 
Get it out there. Get busy. Get busy. Serve our Lord in fear and trembling and love and honor and respect. So with that, thank you so much, folks, for joining in. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.